Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And I am so excited for today's episode. Today I have Molly Friel on the show. Molly, she basically doesn't need much of an introduction. She is only the second woman ever to qualify for the Olympic trials in the marathon at or after age 50. I mean, what a remarkable achievement. She did it this past December at the California International Marathon, where she ran sub 244. Molly is just so amazing, and it was just an absolute privilege to get a chance to talk to her. I'm going to do a short intro on this one, because if you're listening to this, and you're going to want to hear her and not me. She just really is an absolute... Just an absolute gem of a runner and as a person. Um, and not only are we going to talk about what she did at CIM, but we're going to talk about her career uh, in totality and especially the 10-year period between um, her first Olympic trials qualifier and her latest and the injuries that almost uh, almost derailed her uh, her progress. So I hope you like this episode with Molly. Thank you to everybody who's been sharing the podcast and rating it on iTunes. It, uh, it really means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. And with that being said, here we go. Molly Friel. Hello, Molly, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I'll tell you, ever since uh, a couple of weeks ago, when I saw your profile in uh, in Runner's World following uh, your unbelievable race down at CIM, I was uh, excited to uh, you know, reach out to you and get you on the show. Well, that's very kind of you to say. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> and I saw you had, there was quite a bit of people you know, reaching out to you um, after that article. Had you experienced that before in your career, in terms of the, the, just the public outreach? No. Not, not, not even close to that extent ever. It was almost, it was kind of almost overwhelming, to be honest. <laughs> In what way? Did you just have the pressure of, of getting back to everybody or what was overwhelming about it for you? Um, I think just cause to me, it's like people do so many, they run so much faster and do so many more exciting things. To me, it's just me. It's just like, oh yeah, I'm just running. I just finished. You know, it, to, so to me, it was like, oh, OK, but, you know, people were so happy for me that it, it was it was really cool to see, you know, people were so kind and and um, just so nice about it. it. It was neat to see. Right. And as I said in the introduction, um, you, know, you ran a 243.57, which qualified you for uh, the next Olympic trials in the marathon. You're the second oldest person to ever qualify for the Olympic trials in the marathon. Did you know that stat going into the race? Did you know that only one person older than you had ever done that at that age? You know, I, yes and no. Actually, I thought Colleen Daruk had been the oldest when she ran in Indy. I think it was two years ago or four, three years ago now when she had qualified. I think she had been, I thought she had been the oldest. And so when I qualified, I actually thought that I was the first to have qualified at 50. And I didn't even realize that there was someone who was 54 when they had qualified. And I just, that was so impressive to me. I was like, oh my goodness, I can't even imagine in four more years trying to do this again. 
but now I'll have. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great point because yeah, because she uh, the person who had done it before was at age fifty four. So yeah, so you're not you're you're far from done, Molly. Not even close. You gotta keep it going. I gotta keep it rolling now. You know, you've done a lot. A lot of your racing has been on the West Coast. So when you saw that the marathon uh, championships were going to be held at the California International Marathon the first weekend in December, what was it like for you in terms of planning your race schedule and seeing that pop up as as the kind of the the, the penultimate race of the year? Um, you know, it was it was cool. But to be quite honest, even if the U.S. champs hadn't been there, I would still run CIM. It is probably the best the most well-ran race that I have ever ran. Um, the, the support, the people that put it on, um, Sacramento Running Association is incredible. They go out of their way to, um, to help everyone, to make everyone feel important. Um, it's just such a well-ran race that it's, it's my favorite marathon ever out of all the ones I've ever done. Right, and for someone at your caliber, what, what are some of the things that a race like race directors do or the race staff, what do they do to try to make sure, like what is the difference between a well-run race for you and one that might not be as well-run? Well, you know, stuff, you know, just racing that races that start on time, um, you know, the getting, they make sure your gear, you know, when, you know, luckily they collect our gear for us and they have it at the finish line for us. And they make sure that when we're done, we're directed right to, to get our things right away. And I mean, I've even, ran it where I've had my gear in where everyone else's is. And they, they just do a really good job of directing you to where it is and getting it to you quickly. Their volunteers are just amazing. In fact, a, a funny story is that I had a friend of mine was up there with me this year and her, her parents were there and her parents are, are older. They're probably like in their, they're in their late sixties, early seventies. And the mom gets really excited. She, you know, was all, she was at the start before I was at the start. And I mean, I was there, I was there probably by six, six thirty, and she was already there with her camera at the starting line. And uh, she's waiting. And I find out later that one of the, some of the volunteers saw her walking to the start, and they had stayed up in, I think it's Auburn or Folsom or wherever the start is up there. And uh, they stopped and they picked her up. And gave her a ride to the starting line <laughs> because they were worried that she was out there by herself and they didn't want her to get hit by a car or to get into trouble. And and so the volunteer stopped and gave her a ride, like the half mile or mile to the starting line. You know, that, that's just the kind of stuff that CIM, the volunteers up there are so kind and so nice that I was just impressed with that. <laughs> right. It almost sounds like almost like a, like a small neighborhood race as opposed to this major championship. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's, and they treat everyone special. Everyone, you know, feels, feels good and is treated well. And they've always done that. Every time I've ever ran and I've ran CIM, I think <laughs> five or six times. <laughs> and going into this race, when, when did you start your marathon buildup? Um, probably, you know, we, um, I'm coached by Ian Torrance out of Flagstaff and I, when we had been speaking about it, um, I knew I'd run Sacramento. I'd kind of planned on it. That being the marathon I would run for most of the year. And so I was kind of just doing long stuff. Most of the summer I was doing long runs and that kind of stuff. But the, 
buildup usually start, we usually do like an eight week marathon buildup type thing where the workouts get more intense and, and a little bit longer, a little bit harder. And so, um, about eight weeks prior. Otherwise, it just it, it just drags on too long for me, and I, I just start getting burnt out on it. That's interesting because I've seen you say that like you you almost love the training more than the racing in some respects. So with all mm-hmm. with with kind of a minimized uh, buildup, what does I guess before we we would talk about that a little bit. What does your normal running week look like when you're not in a specific training mindset? For like a, for a, any particular race, you mean mileage wise? Yeah, mileage wise, mm-hmm. like workouts per week. Like if you're just saying this in this case, say it was you know set the week of you know, September fifteenth to twenty second. What would just be a, a typical week for you? Um, probably running anywhere from six to seven days a week. Sometimes we we would run seven days. Sometimes we'd run six. Um, probably running anywhere from seventy to eighty miles, um, a week you know, with like two, two workouts within a week, within the week, um, you know, and then when we start getting into the, the more intensive, we start doing double days and building up more to 90 to a hundred miles a week. And then we do cycles where we, we do that for like three weeks and then we'd have a down week and we'd go down to about 60 or 70 and then build back up again. Okay. And in this training cycle, sounded like you had some hamstring issues. So when did that pop up? <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that kind of popped up right around October and I have, was coming off like a hundred miles or something like that. And I, you know how you, when you, you just, your gait just doesn't feel right and everything was tightening up on one side and, and, um, and, um, so yeah, probably about October. So probably all of October and most of November, it was just kind of, I wasn't sure if it was going to heal, wasn't going to heal. You know, I wasn't really sure. And when you're kind of in that situation where you're not exactly sure the state of the injury, um, how do you go about, you know, deciding how, how hard to push it and whether or not to take rest days and how do you make your judgment on when to train, when not to train, when you have that kind of injury? Um, I'm as bad as this, this, this sounds bad because I would tell someone else, I'd be like, Oh, is it, if it's bothering you, you better stop. (laughs) And I'm one of those of, let's see if I can get one more day. (laughs) Let's see if I, if I take the, if I take a couple bit more Motrin (laughs) or ibuprofen and that helps. And I go to the PT and he'll work on it for a bit. And if I can get one more day out of it, let's just see how tomorrow goes. (laughs) And so that's pretty much how I spent the last month and a half was, let's just get to tomorrow. Let's just get to tomorrow. (laughs) That sounds really bad. And I don't recommend that to anybody. (laughs) Well, I got to be honest with you. It sounded like it worked out just fine. So I think it sounds like a fine recommendation. (laughs) Hey, it's feeling great now. (laughs) So so did it ever get better in the training cycle or did it just become something that you were able to manage throughout the race? Just pretty much manage. It was just, it was nagging. It was just a nagging injury the entire time that just, I was just hopeful that it wasn't going to start going down into my hamstring. It was more up into the insertion into the glute muscle. It was kind of where it, it, it felt like it was, it was really bothering me. And I, and at this point, I really think it's a bit of tendonitis that I just have that kind of comes and goes. And it's just one of those things you have to, I'm going to have to deal with for now. So was it more of a, like a, 
dealing like handling the pain issue or was it also something that affected your stride and your speed? Um, you know, I, I think it affects the stride it, and it's kind of the, a whole motion thing. It, it didn't bother me if I ran hard. What bothered me more were the longer, easier runs would just really tighten it up and, and stiffen up the whole hip. Now, if I had a hard workout, um, it didn't bother me. That's so, that's so strange. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It, it, I'd be like, can I just run hard tomorrow? <laughs> that's great. So do you think it was just by, by elongating your stride, it kind of stretched it out? Whereas opposed to like, I mean, I've never, you know, I've never run with you. So I can't like say you're going to be like, oh, your stride looks like X, Y, or Z. Not that I'd be in a position to make that sort of judgment anyway. But was it by running faster and harder, just like by elongating your stride, it, 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 it kind of took the pressure off? Yeah, I think when I run, when I pick up my pace, when I pick up the pace, I I pick up my knees. Otherwise, I'm kind of a shuffler. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's just, it's a whole form thing. You know, so when I run hard, I pick my knees up higher, um, more of a driving forward thing. And, and when I'm just running easy, I'm just kind of not slogging along. Sometimes it feels like I'm slogging along, but, you know, just not picking my legs up as much. Now, going into the tri- your buildup for this race, did you have certain goals in mind at the start? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I had the A, B, and C goal. <laughs> at least I didn't have to go for a D, but um, I just had A, B, and C. And uh, the, the first goal was um, to run under 240. And then the second goal was to beat my PR of uh, – 2014 of 241.30. So I wanted to beat that. And then the third goal was just run under 245 just to qualify. And and I got the C goal. <laughs> I don't usually set goals like that. So. Right. And your 241, did you run that at CIM in 2014? Yeah, I did. Okay. So were you able to, so knowing that that was your PR and you'd done it fairly recently, were you able to make apples to apples comparison between your training and key workouts this year versus your training three years ago? You know, I try not to look back at previous things just because situations change. Um, you know, you, you get older, you're going to run a little bit slower. And I, and I, I have a habit. If I do look back at things, then I start to freak out thinking, Oh, now I'm not, I'm not going to be able to run it as fast. This workout was slower than when I did it this time. And, and I, I didn't want to do that comparison. And so really, I, 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 w- I never looked back to see. And I was just going on however this felt and see if I felt stronger. I felt stronger in this training cycle than I think I did in that one. But um, I didn't look back time-wise to see if it was the same. So how do you determine what your A, B, and C goals are? Is that a process that you do individually or do you talk to Coach Torrance about that? What's the process for your goal setting? <laughs> you're, you're suggesting that there is a process. <laughs> I, just, well, I overthink everything. So for me, there's always processes. I just, I just make it up as I go along. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that seems good. It seemed, it seemed fair to me to think, okay, I want to run under 240. I think I could possibly do that. I mean, I think I could do that now. I still, that, that is like a goal of mine. I would like to run under 240. Um, you know, and so I'm like, okay, so that, you know, and I hear everybody that make these goal things, <laughs> things they call goals. 
And I'm like, okay, this will be an A goal. And in the B goal, I guess I can at least try to meet my PR. And then, you know, of course, the third goal is just qualify. And really, I, I seriously, I, that, I don't I think Ian just kind of wonders where I get these ideas from. I'm just like, this is what I want to do. So let's just try this. <laughs> it's, it's not scientific. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And how long has been, how long have you had the goal of breaking 240? Um, actually, that started after the 241. Once I hit the 241, I'm like, well, if I can run this, why can't I run that? Right. That's kind of how my mind works. <laughs> yeah, kind of like a step-by-step approach to, you know, kind yeah. of one thing after another. Yeah. I mean, even if I'd ran a 241.29, that, that would have been fine with me. I would have been happy with that. I mean, I'm happy with running the 243.57. I think that's that's great, too. But you know, if you have something to look forward to or work towards, I think is a good thing. Now, you also mentioned that you get very nervous before races. And now, is that something that you that has always been the case? Or is that something that has kind of evolved over time? Oh, I've always been that way. Even in high school, I would be that way when I when I run cross country and track. I used to hate I used to think of what horrible what horrible sickness could I get? <laughs> <laughs> in hopes of not having to run. <laughs> and, here, and here you are, you have, you have so much experience so that, so when you're nervous for a race, are there certain things that you're not looking forward to? Like, can you pinpoint like I'm nervous because X or like, I don't want to experience Y is there, is it, is it grounded in a certain fear um, or anxiety? You know, it's kind of funny, you know, really it's my whole thing of, Oh, it's going to feel, this is just going to feel bad. You're, you're, you're going to be working hard and it's going to feel bad. And once I get, once the gun goes off and once it starts, then, you know, you run, run a first mile or two. It's not that bad. I don't, and I, so I don't know why every time what it is, I don't know if it's the whole getting to the start that kind of freaks me out. And so like, I always, I always stay close to the start whenever I do a race, I'm usually close to the start or I have to like map out how to get exactly there the logistics because because even as much as I hate it I don't want to be late to the start <laughs> it's just little weird things my husband's like why do you do this to yourself and I'm like I don't know but he still takes me we still go to the race <laughs> yeah and it obviously works out so you know whatever coping mechanism you're working with it uh you know I guess it, considering the results yeah, you know, I guess you can't argue with success on some level. So in this race, um, with 245 being the seagull, and a lot of women, a lot of just unbelievable, this is an unbelievable field CIM had this year. Um, and so many women, you know, kind of setting the bar at 245 with the idea of like, hey, I want to qualify for the Olympic trials. What was the strategy for you, especially, say, in the first 15 to 20 miles um, of this race? Um, I was just going to stay with the pace group. I just wanted to stay in that 245 group. And in 2014, when we ran, we had a huge pace group. I mean, and I'd never ran in that kind of situation before where, I mean, kind of if you liken it to, to cycling, being in what the Peloton, and you're just getting pulled along by everybody else. And it was it was a really cool feeling. And so I knew 
that this was going to be the same situation, that there was going to be a bunch of people in that group. And if I could just hang on with them, I would be okay. And um, that's pretty much what you did. And where do you where did you decide to situate yourself within the group? Are you someone who wants to be kind of at the front of the pack, or someone who likes to kind of be be closer to the closer to the back and and you know drafting, or just kind of like zoning out and just following the group? Um, I was pretty close to the front of the group, off to the side, because you get too close, you get you know you're bumping elbows, you're you're stepping on people's you know heels, and so that's kind of up up near the front, off to the side. Yeah, and do you know a lot of the women in that group? Like, do you go into these races having a, uh, you know, a lot of knowledge about the other women that you're going to be competing against? Um, I know some. You know, social media is such a funny thing. You know, now you kind of like, quote unquote, know everybody because everybody knows everybody else. You know, but you never meet them. But you never meet them face to face. You always see them on Facebook. So even now, you'll, you know, I'll see people at races that. I'll have spoken to online, but haven't spoken to in person. And I'm nervous and I'm thinking, but I actually know that person, but I don't know that person. And it's it, the whole idea is just kind of weird. <laughs> so I did know a lot of people in the 245 group and I've made a lot of um, friendships from, from the previous trials and from online and stuff. Um, but I don't go and research anybody really. Now, are you, is there a lot of communication or chattiness in that, in that pace group, especially early on in the race, or is it, is it pretty silent throughout? Oh, no, there's a lot of, a lot of chit chatting, especially with the pacer. Um, Jess Berrigan, who's a runner up in Sacramento, was the pacer this year. And, and um, I know him pretty well. And he was telling stories and, and that kind of stuff. And I don't know if you know Chris Mako, but he was the pacer back in 2014. And, and he just had a stream of conversation going from from mile one to to where I left at twenty. He was just talking nonstop. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun actually. They take your mind off of it. And when at what point do your fellow competitors start start getting quiet during the race? Is there a certain point where you like where, where people start saying, All right, you know, enough of this, like I'm starting to drag a little bit, or I don't, I'm getting a little winded. I can't be talking anymore. Um, it kind of varies. Um, there's some people that don't talk at all. Um, I think I, I probably was probably, I'd probably stop talking probably about just past the halfway point. <laughs> I didn't have much to say after that. Um, but yeah, the, the, the girls will kind of, the girls will kind of say something here and there. Um, but it's really the pacer that just kind of keeps, keeps the, the mood going and, and trying to keep everybody upbeat, um, which is nice. It's, you know, it's almost like being on a training run until you get to mile 20. And then, and then it's kind of turns into one of those every, every man or woman for themselves <laughs> to get to the finish line. So it works. Now, is that the point in the race where it started getting hard for you in, the, in this contest? Like, at what point did it go from, all right, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling confident, and lose to, okay, now I really have to buckle down and uh, and start working here? Um, actually, my hardest point in this race was the, the, the first half, was probably the first anywhere from 6 to, to 12. And I started feeling better probably around 19. 
And that's when I actually left the PACE group and I took off. And um, and it's, I, that's when I started feeling better. I'm more of a, um, I don't know, my coach likes to say it's a big engine type thing. <laughs> so it just takes, it takes me a while to warm up and it takes about 20 <laughs> for me to warm up, I guess. That is a great problem to have. I think I have the exact opposite issue. <laughs> that I can go, I can go hard at the beginning, and then oh goodness gracious, when it gets later in the race. Um, so do you, with that in mind, do you actually do significant warm up drills before a marathon? Nope. <laughs> Matt, I don't stretch. <laughs> that. that was great. I you're like. I was, when I was reading, doing some of my background research, you know, like, I don't like to stretch. I do this, I do that. It reminds me of like, sometimes you see these interviews of like the 105 year old and they're like, what's the key to long living? <laughs> they're like, oh, it's wine and bacon or something like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like the exact opposite of what you'd expect someone to say. So when, so when, so when you, you're, you're here, you're here, you're, you're setting these, uh, you know, these unbelievable records, um, you know, from your age standpoint compared to your your performance level. So what for you do you feel like is some, I don't know, some knowledge out there that a lot of people take as gospel that you think is maybe overvalued or, or too, um, too popularized for its own good? Uh, see, I, I could never say that. I mean, everything works differently for different people. I mean, sometimes I think back and I'm like, Gosh, maybe maybe if I'd stretched when I was younger, <laughs> maybe if I'd started stretching earlier, or maybe if I, you know, had a better diet or this or that, um, you know, maybe I'd be faster. Maybe I'd be running. Maybe I would have already ran two thirty-eight or whatever. Um, you know, everything just works differently for other people, and it's all kind of your whole mindset of of what's going to work for you. You know, if if you don't believe something's going to work for you, it's not going to. You know, it's what I, to me, it's all what I can get by with almost what the minimal is I can do to get by. <laughs> it's what I do. <laughs> I, I love the, the self-deprecation humbleness, the minimal that you need to get by. You run 90 to a hundred miles a week prior to a marathon and then you do 70 to 80 miles in a week when you're not in marathon training. So I think, I think you're doing a pretty good amount no matter what, but in that same vein, if you could go back and give yourself running advice, say like, all right, you look at your 25 year old self. If you could give that, that woman some running advice, knowing what you know now, what would you pass on? Um, I'd probably say, uh, take a, take a yoga class, <laughs> do some strength training at the gym. Um, yeah, probably all this, all the stuff that, that all the maintenance stuff, the stuff that you can prevent injuries down the road with would be a good thing. Now, has, has, has injuries been a major issue for you in your career? Yeah, about 10 years of it. Because <laughs> um, I qualified for the trials back in 2002, and I ran in the 2004 trials, and then probably 10 years over after that, I had stress fractures, I had pelvis stress fractures, I had them in my feet, I'd have them in my shins, I'd get planner, I'd get, I, I just had everything. And um, it took close to 10 years for me to finally get through all of that and then requalify again for the trials for 2016.
Now, what made you battle through all those injuries and stay committed to, you know, getting another shot at the Olympic trials? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, I just wanted to do it, wanted to do it one more time. And I think by the time I'd hit, gosh, so what was I? 47, 48, I can't even remember now. Um, I just knew, I just knew I was close enough that I could qualify one more time. I thought I could do it one more time. And so that's what I did in, in, uh, 14. And I thought that would be enough. And then after, so after the 2016 trials, I was like, I think I can do it one more time. <laughs> so just the desire to do it, I guess. Now, what was the most frustrated you've ever been in terms of just how your career was progressing and when can when was that oh that was that was 2005 when i got the stress fracture in my pelvis and i couldn't run at all i couldn't run for probably eight months at all that was frustrating <laughs> and then i came back from that and i came back too fast and i um got plantar fasciitis probably for another six months. And then I got stress fractures from the planner because I had overcompensated, right? It's, it's got to the point that I just didn't want to run at all. But look what happened. <laughs> yeah, look what happened indeed. So do, were you, did you cross train during that time in order to maintain fitness? Or how are you able to, looking back now, kind of go through that 10 year period in a way that set you up for your current success? You know, and again, this sounds really bad because I'm, I'm really actually lazy. Um, I run and that is really it. You know, I bought a bike because I thought I would cross train on the bike and it's still sitting upstairs. <laughs> it looks brand new. I think I've ridden, ridden it 10 or 15 times. Um, I'm just, and I don't swim. I don't swim at all. I don't like water. Um, so I'm, I'm not really big on cross training, I, you know, until everything healed up and I was able to run again, I really just didn't do much exercise wise. So how has your training evolved over the last 15 years, you know, going from 2002, you make, when you, you, know, you qualify again to now 2017, you qualify again, obviously there's a lot of things that happened in that, in that, in that 15 year period. Did your training evolve over that time? I know you've been with Coach Torrance now for five years. Yeah, um, you know, I I initially had trained with um, Jimmy Riccatello, who's a, an ex-pro triathlete. And um, he trained me when I still lived in Tucson, and he trained me online. And, and then once I got injured... Um, I, again, I wasn't really doing anything. I, I You know, and, and when I say I wasn't doing anything, I mean once things started to feel better, I'd try to run and then, you know, I'd, I'd get maybe a month or two out and something else would get hurt or something like that. And um, so about, I think it must've been around 2010, I started to like be able to, I was starting to get able to get back into running again. And, you know, I was maybe running four or five times a week and building from there. I started looking for coaches. I think I went through like three or four, different coaches and fell in with Ian 
Um, and, and, and he, you know, he's, he's just kind of pretty much guided me and we've, he's built up the mileage with me. Um, I don't, you know, I, I don't even, you know, you asked me how, how this all kind of transpired and I really just don't even know. I can't even really pinpoint where it was that I was like, hmm, I'm back. I'm kind of back where I was 15 years ago. <laughs> I don't know how I got here, to be honest. That's, yeah, that's, that is pretty interesting because you have a career that is certainly an outlier compared to your other competitors. And when you think back to when you were 25, 30, 35, which is kind of like the normal, the normal peak of, you know, of an athlete, what about that period? You know, if you would say compare and contrast, like what, why wasn't that your, your best years versus now? Like you, like you said before, you set your marathon PR in 2014. How come that wasn't done in 1995? Um, you know, probably just the, maybe just the training, you know, I, you know, I don't know, <laughs> you know, you have to think back in 2002, that's when I was 37. So that's usually when I think most people are kind of like finishing up, I guess. I, I you know, I, I, I don't know. I just, I think I'm more focused, more focused now, maybe, maybe just then I was still just having fun at it and not realizing that I, I could do as well as I did or have. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds a lot like you just view that it's, that you just view running as, hey, this is something I like to do, so I'm just going to continue to do it, but I'm not going to overthink the process. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I am, I'm very, I, I, you know, and I, and I can't lie. I, I'm kind of obsessive. I think about running all the time and like, so like I have a workout coming up and, and I'll obsess about that workout till it's done. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I probably overthink things more than some people, but in, uh, in some ways, but in other ways I don't, it's just, I just obsess about the running itself. I don't have like the running, the stretching, the, I don't have everything else that goes along with it. Maybe that's the difference is I don't worry about the strength training and everything that would probably can be considered the whole package. I just have to worry about putting one of the other. <laughs> When you have those workout days, right, those benchmark workouts or like that big workout that you, you know, once every week, once every two weeks that you're really looking forward to and it may be some sort of marker about your current fitness level or what you might be able to do in a big race. If one of those workouts doesn't go well for you, is that something that you, you know, you quickly bounce back from or is that something you, you often dwell on or second guess yourself? What's your experience like? with having some like a down workout versus having like, you know, a stellar workout. To me, it's, to me, it's all every day is a different day. And so some days you're going to have a bad run. Some days, some days you'll have a good one. Luckily I have a lot of good days versus bad workout days. I think, um, you know, and, and on the days that you have a bad one, it's like, you know, tomorrow's a new day. <laughs> you just 
you got to let it go. You know, you have a bad race, you got to let it go. You know, because it doesn't it doesn't do you any good to hold on to it and 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 worry about it. And what's the biggest hurdle you've ever overcome in a race that helped you later on in your career? Like you were able to reflect on and be like, hey, I was able to gut through this or I learned a lot from this other experience that maybe, you know, was kind of a more of a learning experience than a, than a peak performance type experience. You know, actually, actually, the 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 race in 2014 when I when I ran the 241.30, um, the last 10k was was uh, I I PR'd. Let's put it this way: I I PR'd not only in the marathon, I PR'd in my 10k at the end. Um, I ran a 30. 36 something I've never been able to do that on the road I've never in a race in a 10k I've never been able to run that fast and so kind of like when I can get to that last 10k of a marathon I know I can run hard you know regardless of and I think that in even in like even this race um in December I like I know I can run a I can finish a 10k and I can run a hard 10K if I have to. So I just, I can hang on to that thought. And I think back to that. I think back to that day a lot. I'm like, holy cow, how did I do that? <laughs> so. Yeah, and, and considering, as as, uh, as you mentioned earlier, that, you know, your big engine, so to speak, did you ever have... Um, thoughts about just extending extending your your races into the kind of the ultra marathon level we've talked about my coach and i have talked about that <laughs> i just but i can't run a trail race um i don't pick up my feet very very high even when i run fast i'm not picking them up that high um so it would have to be a road a road uh 50k or something like that possibly I'm still I'm still coming to grips with the fact that you set your 10k PR at age 47 at the end of a marathon. That is insane to me. Um, yeah, that 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 really is insane. I mean, when you look back on it, when you saw that, what was your first reaction when you when you, when that you actually came to grips with the fact that you had done that? I was like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to run a 10k on the road. Because <laughs> I thought for sure I was going to be able to run a fast 10k on the road. See, all you have to do is just have to do a 12 mile warm up, and it'll be fine. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. So, so what are the goals? So here we're. we're what is this? January 23rd. What are your goals for 2018? What are some of the, the races you're looking forward to? And what are some of the goals that you hope to achieve? You know, I just, I just kind of float along that type of thing. Um, I'm going to run a 10 miler um, in April in Sacramento, the Sacktown 10 miler, which is a great race. So I'm going to do that and hopefully run under um, 60 minutes there. That's, that's the goal. I'm not, I'm not, I'm usually not, a, I don't usually say what my goals are or what I wish to do because I hate, 
I don't, I don't like to worry about letting other people down, but that's a goal I have. Um, I have that set up. I have, I'm going to do some halves. I'm hopefully going to run maybe a fast half somewhere, maybe a marathon at the end of in by the fall, maybe CIM again, probably because that's my favorite race, of course. <laughs> I'm still waiting to hit that that 240. That's what I'm good. That's what I'm working on is getting hitting a 240 somewhere. Let's do it. So, you, are you gonna you know get a, a 240 pacer out there with you to 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 kind of to set the edge, and then you're able to just kind of like you know take take it from there. You know, if I had to, I, I'd really like to do it by myself. <laughs> Maybe run in a, a pace group and then pull away and and do it that way. That would work. Um, I don't know. We'll see. It's hard to it's hard to it's hard to tell. All right. So at the end of all of these podcasts, I always go through some quick questions right at the end. Uh, but before I do so, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And what you've been able to do in your career. I know that you're, you're too humble maybe to, to recognize this fact, but it, it is so inspiring to a lot of people, not just the fact that you you know, are able you qualify for the Olympic trials at age 50, but just the sustained success and sustained performance, I think is a, it's, it's a wonderful thing because the one common thread with almost everyone I've had on this podcast is that they've taken a break from running and then gotten back into it later in life. And it's one of those things where they, they, they see other people succeeding at ages that may be atypical or maybe started later in life. And it really can be an inspiring thing. So thank you so much for doing what you're doing. Oh, well, thank you. I like to see, see it as a thing of uh, when you can't run that you're buying time for down the road. <laughs> you're just saving up time for later on. Okay. All right. All right. So if you're out on a run, are you wearing headphones or no headphones? No headphones. Okay. All right. Um, so that takes away the second question of what do you listen to? <laughs> All right. So uh, the other one I love to ask is what running advice do you give other runners, but that you have trouble following yourself? <laughs> um, if something hurts, stop running. <laughs> you, you would have, you would have taken a 10 year hiatus if you followed that. That, that advice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. If you could run one more race for the rest of your life, and so if you, I'm sorry, if you could only run one more race the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, what race would that be? See, I am. Okay. And conversely, what is your bucket list race that you haven't done yet? Ooh. Probably Chicago. And why haven't you done it? It's too far to travel. <laughs> I don't like to fly on airplanes very much. Okay, so you could run there. You'd be nice and warmed up for the start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> be a nice long car ride. 
<laughs> All right. So this is the last question. Again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, if you could have, a, not, not if you have, who is your ideal running partner, your dream running partner? Oh, my dogs. Your dogs. All right. Tell us about the dogs. Oh, what do you want to know about them? <laughs> well, first of all, how many, how old are they? And what, what, I mean, you're, you're a heck of a runner. So, so what, how long are they able to keep up with you? Oh, well, we, I have three dogs. Um, two are Dalmatians and one's a German short hair. The Dalmatian uh, Buster is about eight years old and probably weighs about 50 pounds. He looks like a linebacker. The dog is huge. He should, he should, can play the line easily. Um, he can go about mm, six, six to eight miles at max. And when he's tired, he just sits down in the, on the middle of the trail and won't move. He's done. He's finished. Oh, that's great. Um, Lynn is my other Dalmatian and she, probably weighs about 40, 45 pounds. And she just ran 16 miles with me on Sunday. Wow. And, and she will run, she will run forever. <laughs> the German short hair, his name's Pogi. He's just kind of crazy and he doesn't get a go. He likes to hunt for birds and that's about it. <laughs> okay. So you have all different, all different kinds of running partners with the dogs. Oh, yeah, I have easy day dogs and fast day dogs and long day dogs. They're, they're, they're good. They're good people. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, I have a, I have a dog. He's, a, he's 11, about to be 12, um, and he's a heck of a runner. We have, he's, a, he's a husky, but he's part German Shepherd as well. Uh-huh. So he has like the husky colors, but his his lit kind of his lower legs have a have a little bit of yellow. That's where you can see the German Shepherd uh-huh. in them. And uh-huh. he's not he's not quite like a like a puffy furball like a normal husky. So he has the husky colors, but it kind of lays on him a little bit more. Uh huh. That kind of the hair at least. <laughs> yeah, especially especially in his body and his legs. So, but you know he's he's not having it for running in the summer, but in the winter, Oh, he, he can't get enough. Absolutely. You know, he's, he's over 10 years old. He'll go out for a seven, eight mile run with me. He, uh, he'll love every minute of it. Um, the only reason I don't take him all the time is because if I start doing that and then I don't take him all of a sudden, oh, oh my God, he'll just he'll just create a ruckus in the house. Oh yeah. Mine wake me up. They, they expect, they're like, uh, do you see what time it is? The sun's shining, time to go. <laughs> so see so you don't even need a coach you got three of them in the house i know they tell me when i'm going to do interval work and, and everything it's great oh my goodness that's <laughs> great molly again thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it congratulations on your recent success and good luck in 2018 thanks matt i appreciate it